So you want to find out what's unique about you and that that can really help you. You know, like if you have multiple skills, then you combine those skills and bring something to the market that only you can do. Hello and welcome to another series of ITA English Abroad, a podcast by the TEFL Org. It's our third series of interviews with prominent and upcoming figures in the TEFL world, covering topics like travel, starting a business, presenting yourself online, exploring your potential and, well, obviously, teaching. Once again, we're your one-stop shop for the best advice and stories when it comes to teaching English as a foreign language. If you're looking for a podcast episode that name-checks Sterling, Romania, Hungary and Beverly Hills, you're in luck. Kitty Moyerin is a guest that came highly recommended to us here at the TEFL Org, and our episode will not disappoint. From being unable to decipher certain Scottish accents, and it happens even to other Scottish people, to starting her own business in the same country, Kitty's story is one of sheer hard work and enterprise. So here's that story. I'm speaking to Kitty, is it Ma- Majoran or Mayoran or... It's Mayoran. Mayoran, okay. I apologise for butchering your name so early on, but uh, how are you doing today? I think no one can really get my name right, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Just uh, if you could tell me a little bit about your upbringing. So you're Hungarian but born in Romania. Were you always passionate about languages? Was it kind of a necessity being multilingual? Like, how did how, how was your upbringing in terms of language? Did you need to be... You know, did you need to be across different languages? Of course, yeah, I'm happy to share. So uh, I'm also happy to share because not many people know the history in this. So a lot of the times I feel like I have to give a mini history lesson every time people ask me where I'm from. But yeah, I I was born in Romania, but I was born into a Hungarian-speaking community in Transylvania. So um, for those of you who don't know, Transylvania is part of Romania, but previously before the first world war it was part of hungary and then they lost it to romania and because of that there's still like a hungarian speaking communities dotted around the whole, whole area so i was born into a community and in a family that is like um, hungarian speaking i went to hungarian schools and everything um but you know it's like something that everybody knows that if you want to kind of make it at some point you want to be able to speak romanian fluently and hungarian and romanian language they are very, very different, completely different. So my mom thought it would be a good idea for me to just spend one year in a Romanian-speaking nursery so then I could, um, yeah, just kind of like get used to the language at an early age. And this is how it all started for me because I was four when I went there and I spent one year there. I didn't speak any Romanian when I got in and then I was fluent by the time I left. Well, as fluent as a five-year-old can be. But, um, (laughs) you know, like it was, I think that's when for me, that was like very fascinating how I was able to communicate with different people on different languages and swap between the languages as well. And then I went to a Hungarian school, but you continue learning um, Romanian as a second language. So that's why actually English is my third language because um, you continue learning it. And then, yeah, so I just continued and I was always good at it. But then I moved away. We moved to Hungary when I was 14. So then I stopped speaking Romanian. 
But because I learned it at such a young age, if I go back to visit, I can still like converse very, very nicely and fluently. And that's something I've always wondered, actually, especially if you're learning different languages from such a young age. Are you sort of, are you translating in your head? Do you have a sort of primary language that any, any translate from, let's, I mean, if you're in a Romanian school, are you hearing the question in Romanian and then translating it back to Hungarian and then translating it back to Romanian? How does it how does it sort of work? Because like I've never had that. Yeah, when you are when you are quite new for at a new language, you kind of do that. You're always like translating it really, really quickly in your head, or at least that's how I did it. And I actually worked as an interpreter later in my life and that that skill served me really well in that context. Um, but yeah, that's how, that's how I always did it. And even with English. But then when you move to a country where they speak that language and you are constantly exposed to it, then eventually, or at least that's what happened to me, I just noticed my thoughts turning into English. And then now, I, whenever people speak to me in English or in Hungarian, I don't have to translate either of those. But it's like such a quick, tra- so it's not something like you sit and think to translate, you know, it's like it works really, really quickly in your mind. But yes, I can. So if I speak to someone in French, for example, then I still have to, you know, um, do that super quick translation process in my head. But if I speak to someone in English, it's just like speaking to someone in my native language because I lived here for so long. So You touched on it a little bit earlier, but uh, when did you start to learn English and when did you realize that you were passionate about it? I was probably like three years old because we started nursery with like nursery rhymes and songs. Wow, right. And I yeah, yeah, like really, really easy ones, you know, like very basic ones, but still it's really cool. Um, we used to have like, I think, one English class a week in nursery. That was really fun. Um, but for me, my passion came really because, you know, I was I, like, I grew up in mid 90s Romania and I was like obsessed with American TV shows and movies. And I was always like, I always wondered, like, you know, I was looking at those people's lives on TV and I was always wondering, like, why is their life so glamorous and why is ours not like that? And then I was always analyzing the situation and I was like, it can't, you know, like there's the obvious reason they're in America, we're in Romania. But I was like, nah, it can't be that. It can't be that. It has to be something different because you always hear the immigrant success stories and stuff like that. So I'm like, it doesn't matter where you're born. What What is the thing that divides us here really and then one day I realized that it it must be like you know in my child's brain I decided that it must be the ability to speak English and for me in that moment um, being successful and wealthy and having a glamorous life became synonymous with being fluent in English so I became like very, very passionate about it. And I decided like, I'm always going to take English seriously in school, which I did. And I always, but I always did the extra mile as well. You know, like I always um, watched movies over and over and over to pick up phrases and write. I had like a dedicated notebook just for like movie phrases. And then, so then I would like write those down and, and, you know, practice saying them. And then, you know, whenever you have to make a wish, maybe it's like a birthday wish or a New Year's Eve wish, my wish was always to be fluent in English. So, you know, like it was like a huge goal in my life. Um, and yeah, we, in, in school, we, we were very fortunate because we had like, 
three English classes a week, you know, in primary school. And then in high school, when when I moved to Hungary, in Hungary, it's actually very common to have bilingual high schools. Right. So I went to one of one of these. It wasn't actually like fully bilingual, but we did do like more of an English um, profile or focus. So, for example, the first year of my high school, I didn't even study um, other subjects other than English. So it was like very basic maths and basic Hungarian just to keep us going. But it was like 15 hours a week of English classes. Goodness. So that was like a huge accelerator for me towards my dream. And at the end of the year, we even got to go to England and spend a week with a family, you know, staying there. So that was really cool as well. Mm. So, yeah, always a, always a huge part of my life. Absolutely. Yeah. And again touched on it there this is perfect podcast guesting because you're leading me seamlessly into the next question but uh you were talking about the about the mid 90s uh and american culture i'm guessing things like friends clueless like were there any particular kind of reference points friends didn't quite make it to romania yet uh it okay. was actually like um beverly hills not the oh, yeah, yeah. 19, i never know the numbers but that was a, yes, that one. That was a huge one that we watched, and like Baywatch <laughs> was another. <laughs> also, like we only really had like three TV channels, so really there wasn't like a channel for the kids and one for the adults. You just watched whatever was on, and um, mm-hmm. so it was that. And then we also watched like uh, you know like Simpsons and other things. But it was for me. I think it was mostly like um, Beverly Hills and Baywatch. You know, like that life of like living on the beach, driving the nice cars, etc., having like those big mansions, especially in the Beverly Hills series. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just imagining lots of like European English learners developing these sort of like valley accents now. Uh, it's yeah, that sounds dead good. So, amongst other subjects, you ended up studying cinema at university. Was film a factor in, in your love of English, much as it was, you know, with with TV? And did it prove useful later on in terms of what you're able to do as a teacher? I mean, did you sort of teach using film and TV in the same way that you kind of taught yourself growing up? Was there any sort of symbiosis there? So I was. Like I say, I, I was more the kind of person who like had a few favorite movies that I would just rewatch and rewatch and rewatch until I knew them inside out, which helped when I tried to understand it in English and in Hung- like because I would watch it with Hungarian dub and then rewatch it in English anyway. But um, but did I use it in my classroom? I'm gonna think about this. I think I definitely did well I always suggest and this is something that was always my go-to suggestions for every learner that they pick a tv show that they've seen a million times and they know inside and out for a lot of people as friends and then just start re-watching it in English because when you know something so well you can pick up on those expressions you know something that makes you laugh or something that elicits any kind of emotion you usually restore that as a memory much easier so if you really love a movie or a tv show then there's a chance that you remember a lot of the phrases and then I would tell them to like rewatch these in English so that they can pick up on those phrases and make notes of it you know like how you say that in 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 English but for me like I ended up studying cinema by almost by accident because I actually came to Scotland to do journalism but I did journalism and French and then I didn't like journalism, but I also started, so you had to pick like a a third module and I picked cinema and then I didn't like journalism. So I just picked 
cinema instead. And at this point, it wasn't even officially part of my degree. But by the end of fourth year, I was like, I've done every single cinema module. So might as well just <laughs> assist to my degree, <laughs> make it a joint degree. But yeah, I... Um, it was fun, but it was very different because I obviously grew up on like pop culture kind of mainstream movies, whereas this one was very much like art house cinema and everyone in the classroom was very much into it and they knew a lot about movies, whereas I was like, you know, like my favorite movie is Mulan up until this day. So I wasn't I wasn't always <laughs> able to participate in conversations, but it was good fun and it definitely was a great way for me to learn. The reason why I wanted to choose quote unquote an easier subject because I was like, I have to get used to the English language. You know, I didn't want to study business or literature or something that heavy language, heavy subject. So I thought like a movie, I can at least watch it with subtitles if I don't understand it. And there's loads of different things. So like, that's why I went with it. No, I mean, it, it makes total sense. Uh, and also there's nothing wrong with Mulan. So let's get that out of the way. I always say that I wouldn't be the woman that I am today if it wasn't for Mulan. <laughs> Absolutely fair. You also graduated in, in French and you did mention French a little bit early on. How, how has that helped in terms of you know, language teaching. Has, has it opened up any sort of doors, like any more opportunities for you in terms of where you're able to to teach? Or, or I guess, like, and we'll get to what you're doing now later on, but has it opened opportunities in terms of the kind of clients that you're able to, to mentor, that kind of thing? Well, yes and no, I suppose, because actually it was my degree that I was doing in French that led me to do an Erasmus exchange in the south of France. And during my time there, I actually took some time and went to Barcelona where I met English teachers. And that's actually how I decided I would become one. Yeah. So yeah, in that sense, it did help right. because, you know, I wouldn't have come France if it wasn't for that. And I actually didn't really like my Erasmus exchange. And I went to Barcelona because I wanted to get away from France. But I had so much fun and I met all these English teachers and their lives sounded incredible. And I was like, I want to get on that because I always loved teaching and I always enjoyed that. I, even as a child, I was always playing to be a teacher, but but um, I never really wanted to teach in like a traditional school. And when I met them, I thought, oh my God, this sounds like the perfect setup. You know, you can travel, you can teach. It's like, it's a different kind of um, students as well, because you, they, most of them thought at academies. So it was really, really, really inspiring. Um, when I finished uni, I did want to you know, and I did my TEFL course straight after I finished my undergraduate, I did really want to move to France and teach English there. And I applied to a few places, but they didn't really get back to me. So <laughs> I ended up in Spain instead. And then I went back to France. And then again, I applied to a few places. But um, there, again, there wasn't really, I will talk about this a bit, but because I'm a non-native English speaker, I had quite a hard time to get hired at the start. Um but so, and I found it even harder in France. So I actually ended up working as a tour guide instead. But, you know, I still use languages. So. Absolutely. And and we'll, we'll touch a bit on, you know, speakerism a bit, a bit later on. It's very, very important. You study, study in Sterling, if I'm right. Now, it's a very beautiful place. There's no doubt in Sterling. It's lovely. Uh, it's maybe not the most cosmopolitan area in Scotland. Did you find the, the accent hard to deal with? And how was it adapting to Scotland? Because I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't anything like... I mean, last time I went to Stirling, it wasn't anything like Beverly Hills 902. 
you will know. So <laughs> how did uh, how did you get on in the sort of early stages? That's so true. <laughs> um, well, first of all, you, I know the town is very small. It's true, but the the campus is so international. I don't know if it's still like that post Brexit, but when I went when I came here in 2013, it was crazy. Like there were people from all over the world. And when I graduated, actually, I remember they said it in this speech that there was like people from over 140 countries studying at Sterling. So it's 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 incredibly international and they actually pride themselves on that as well. And so they should be. And um, because of that, I had like a, a, a lot of international friends. And yes, when I arrived, so I mentioned that I had been to England before when I was 15 for a week, you know, I'd never been in anywhere else in the UK apart from that. So I, I came to Scotland. I was quite young, you know, I um, didn't really know what to expect. I actually took a bus <laughs> from Budapest to Sterling because I was... Oh my God. <laughs> because I had... <laughs> yeah, it was three days. It was crazy. I had never, I've never flown by myself before and I was so nervous. And then someone from Hungary found me and he was like, listen, I'm taking a bus. Like, we're going to the same place. Do you want to go together? And I was like, yeah, sure. That would be okay. It was horrible. You can't take wow. a bus days <laughs> across Europe. It's awful. <laughs> so I arrived and I was exhausted. Like we we went through like, you know, Austria, Germany, like Belgium to Netherlands, obviously France and then the entire England. And we had like a over in London for a few hours and then yeah came up on the mega bus which uh, was just a cherry on the cake and then arrived in Edinburgh and it was uh, early quite early in the morning and I was exhausted and I just wanted to buy a coffee it's because we arrived in Edinburgh and then and then this guy I was traveling with was like okay so now we're taking a bus to Sterling and I was like not another bus <laughs> so I was like right I'm just gonna get a coffee so I went up to the uh, to the to the little cafe in the in the in the bus station in Edinburgh and I, I ordered a coffee and I'm assuming the guy asked me like you know maybe what size I wanted or what what did I want with about my coffee but I couldn't understand him and I just kept asking back and he just kept trying to like explain it and I was just like oh my god like I'm so sorry eventually I managed to get my coffee and I just like I, I broke down crying. I called my mom and I was like, how am I supposed to start university in a country where I can't even buy a coffee? It was just such a scary moment. And But at the same time, I was in too deep. There was no going back. <laughs> so I was like, what have I done? Um, but then I arrived and on the campus, um, which is another bus from Sterling to the campus. So, yeah. <laughs> So yep. I arrived and <laughs> at the beginning I was like very, very scared. I felt like I had no idea what was going on. Everyone was there with their parents. I was just like completely lost. I didn't understand anything. I, I That's when I discovered that we didn't have a lot of basic things, you know, like pants, pots, things like that. But so I just felt like so, I don't know, like alone but also like scared and so alien and all that at the same time but thankfully there was like a Hungarian guy I knew from back home like vaguely knew who was also at Sterling Uni and he was also in my 
my oh, building yeah. in my halls. And so I walked out, I remember, and I was walking back and I saw him through the, one of the windows. So I was like, okay, I'm saved. So I went and like spoke, spoke with him and then it got introduced to everyone else. And then I just kind of like settled into it. Um, but yes, my first interaction like in the halls was like I had... Um, so we had like a fairly international floor, but there was um, four Scottish people that if I remember correctly, but all four of them were from different parts of Scotland. So we had someone from Glasgow, someone from Dundee, someone from the Highlands and someone from outside of Edinburgh. So the accents were mm-hmm. just crazy. And I was like, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. But yeah, so uh, there were two Hungarians and both of them, you know, their English was, I think they lived, well, well, one of them had lived here before. So I would always just ask her like, what are they saying? So for like the first three months, I didn't say much. I was, uh, but I actually started working within three weeks I got a job in a supermarket that was another thing because I had to figure out how the money works and people kept asking me for things and I was like I don't understand what they're saying so I'll just tell them we don't have it (laughs) so that led to a few awkward moments and then but eventually after three months you know I just suddenly started picking up and just started speaking and then it just became like super, super easy for the for the rest of my time. Of course, there's still words. Even today, sometimes I come across words, but I'm like, what does that mean? But, but it's um, after the, after the third month, I was very, very comfortable. Well, you can still you can actually hear a little bit of an Ed- Edinburgh twang in some of your words. Oh. So obviously, uh, you picked up, and and you can hear more of uh, Kitty's Edinburgh twang just after this break. Feeling inspired. Fancy trying something completely new? Well, make your best move yet by signing up for a TEFL course with the most highly accredited provider on the planet. Here at the TEFL Org, we offer a range of online and classroom courses that you can study at your own pace. All of our courses include top-of-the-range teaching materials and come with dedicated tutor support from experienced and highly qualified TEFL experts. And what's more, we'll give you money off to do it. Just enter the code PODCAST at checkout to get 50% off any of our internationally recognised TEFL courses. And that includes our best-selling 120-hour Premier Online course. With that code, you'll not only get 50% off, but you'll also get a free lesson plans pack. Within a matter of months, you could be a qualified TEFL teacher out there exploring the world or work into your own schedule from home as an online English teacher. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout to get started. Okay, and we're back with Kitty. So in your first job, you if, if, I'm, if I'm right in saying your first job, um, in a non-supermarket context anyway, you assisted in classes at school and you helped children who had English difficulties. So it was their second language or um, maybe even third. What inspired that and how did it help to build really, really important teaching traits like empathy and, and patience and that kind of thing? Well, actually, that wasn't my first job. I That was well, when, I, when I came back from uh, from Spain. So I had already had the English teaching experience. My first job was an interpreter. I was interpreting in hospitals. 
I see that. And uh, I was, uh, that was really cool. I really enjoyed it. But obviously I I was preparing, I was doing my TEFL at the same time and I was preparing to live that life that those Americans I met in Barcelona were living. Um, so I then had a, a bit of, like I finished my TEFL and I was so excited to get started. I mean, I loved every moment of my TEFL. For me, even the grammar and all of those sections were very easy because I had to learn it myself in the past. So I was like super excited to get started. And then I applied to a few places and then I got, you know, like, they didn't say it clearly what it was, but I did like interviews really well. And then and then they still didn't go through. And, and then I started suspecting it's because of the non-native speaker thing. So what I did is, um, but it's actually for those who are listening and are listen, now doing the TEFL, your situation is way better because since then the European Union, I'm, I, as far as I'm aware, the European Union passed the law that you cannot discriminate based on, you know, whether or not someone's a native speaker, if they're a good enough teacher. So you cannot, you cannot do that anymore. And that's against the law. And there's even a name for this type of discrimination. It's called nativism, which wasn't the case when I first started out. So I wasn't protected by this law. And because of that, I started volunteering just to get some, you know, um, experience. So I was teaching English for a family of, of like their children. And then I got the assistant job in Madrid. And um, it was after I came back from Madrid that I started working in Scotland with children who spoke English as a second language. Talking of that sort of translator and interpreter role, something that's come up actually, and it surprises me, but I suppose I, I don't even completely know the difference either. What's the difference between a translator and an interpreter? Because it is two very different roles. And obviously you've been there and you've you've worked that. So just for our audience who aren't really sure the, of the uh, distinction, what, what's the difference? Of course. Uh, this difference is just that a translator writes, uh, translates written documents, whereas an interpreter translates um, verbally, so like spoken. So uh, you, you can be, there are two types of interpreters, consecutive and simultaneous. Consecutive is the kind of interpreter that, you know, lets each party speak and in between they translate. And then the simultaneous are, you know, in like, for example, in courts or in parliament settings and things like that, where you have to just translate at the same time as the person is speaking the different language. That sounds really daunting. You picked up on it before, actually, the role of, uh, you know, you worked in hospitals and um, you helped people out whose uh, language, first language wasn't English. And and we'll get on to what you're doing now, but I think it's really important to see the kind of building blocks that uh, are in place there. Would you say that your career motivation is is in empowering people? Because I've got to imagine hospitals are a really scary place if you if you don't speak the same language as, as a staff. Did that give you the kind of grounding to go later on, you know, I want to coach people, I want to motivate people, I want to kind of really empower people, especially if they aren't native uh, English speakers? Absolutely, absolutely. Because it was actually, so I was a Hungarian English interpreter and like you say, a lot of them didn't speak a word of English. You know, they would be working here in like maybe warehouses or factories and then something happens and then they end up in these situations and it can be, you know, some of them is easy because you just go to the GP. But in some cases, I, I went with people who had to get operations and, and other things. So, you know, that's very, very scary for people because... Yeah, like you say, being in a hospital is, is, is extremely scary 
as it is. So imagine not understanding a single word anyone around you is speaking. And even though the doctors and nurses here always are super nice and always make their best efforts to make people feel comfortable, if there's a language barrier, you know, there's only so much comfort that patient can feel. So it was really good because I got to be that vehicle for them to understand everything. Everything was okay. And, you know, and reassure their families as well, which is also a big thing. And um, yeah, and through working, through seeing all these types of different immigrants of and all the different levels of English that or any language I think it it's the truth for every country but all the different languages that all the different levels of languages that people arrive in countries with it that it did kind of got me thinking and and it did like it did lead me to what I do now in a sense that when I started building my business in Scotland I was like super excited because everywhere I looked, there was someone who wanted to support me. There's so many organizations out there and I just thought that's amazing. And then I instantly remembered because at the beginning I wasn't quite sure what kind of business I wanted, but then I instantly remembered all these people I worked with in hospitals. And I was thinking, you know, they're probably entrepreneurial, a lot of them just as much as I am, but they'll never know what's available out there and how to get started. And that's really sad. And I really want to break this language barrier down for people as much as I can. And this is why I started my networking group in Edinburgh, for example, for entrepreneurs who speak English as a second language, because like I say, people arrive with all sorts of different languages and they deny themselves opportunities because of the perceived or real language barrier. So creating a space where we can come together and it's safe and you can make mistakes and everyone speaks slowly. And there's also like a workshop to help you like with your marketing communication skills, but also I'm there to like guide, like direct you to organizations and things like that. I think that's, yeah, it's really cool. And it does definitely stem, stem from my interpreting days. And sort of just to go back to that initial stage of, uh, of your career as well. Um, now, you worked with uh, traumatized children. Is that, is that correct? And, and then, yes, so th- yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you, that experience led to, you, led to you developing online training programs for teachers who work with traumatized t- children. I was just wondering if you could tell me more about that, because that's fascinating, especially for someone so early in their career. Like, what was the process there? So <laughs> it was, I just kind of fell into that. It was, right. um, I, it wasn't planned. I was, uh, I had just come back from Madrid and I wanted to get an English teacher job. Um, but there's not that many English academies in Edinburgh. And we came back because my partner got into, um, to do a master's, um, in Edinburgh. So we, we, we were like, I was looking for jobs and then I couldn't find anything, but I came across these language assistant or like classroom assistant kind of roles. And then I had, I was talking about how I could like support the children who speak English as a second language, which really, they resonated with the principal at the time and because they had a really big international community. So they brought me on um, and the, yeah, they were just like, oh, we look forward to having your support. And then I started working with, yes, they were children who spoke English as a second language, but also they had some kind of other special need, like, um, like maybe they were on the autism spectrum or something like that. So, um, so I was like, 
I, I, I didn't really feel prepared to do this. I've never had any training in this, but I managed to get on really well and I got on really well with the kids. And, and, and the principal was like completely mesmerized by that. And then he decided that he would give me one of the children in the school who had suffered trauma and loss and to work with him, to work with him one-on-one. And I did not, I was, of course, I said yes, because I wanted to help out, but I did not know what to expect. And then we started working together and, you know, it's really, really hard. And there's like a special, people take very special trainings and, you know, they study for years to like be able to relate with these children and help them. And I was completely unprepared. And, and because of that, it was, it was quite hard on me, you know, because when, when children suffer trauma, they actually project a lot of it onto the adults around them. So it was, it was quite hard on me and I didn't know what to do. So I spoke to an education psychologist who directed me to a book um, which was like written specifically for educational professionals, education professionals who work with children who have suffered trauma and loss, early childhood trauma and loss. So she gave me this book and I started reading it and I was like one chapter in and I started applying all the tools and they were working like magic. It was incredible. I was really, really happy and excited. But then COVID happened and the school closed down. Like literally, this is like on the same week, just as people started talking about COVID, I was like getting my hands on this book. So I knew that I couldn't support that child anymore because I wasn't planning on going back after the the term anyway, because I was doing, I was going to do a master's. I already knew that. And uh and because of that, I just didn't, I felt really bad leaving him, you know, because I knew that whoever comes in after me is going to be just as unprepared as I was. And, you know, I have this book and I have all this time on my hand. So because we didn't have to teach online because we weren't teachers, we were teacher assistants. So I was like, might as well use this time to read this book and just put all this, all the key points onto like PowerPoint presentations and things like that, and then share it with everyone else. So that's, as far as I know, that's still in the database of the school. So I asked them, you know, to like use it whenever there's a new staff member to at least get some kind of, like, even if it's like a light training, like, cause you know, but still at least it prepares you and all the key tools and all the key takeaways from the book are all there. And, um, and I I think everybody really um, appreciated it because then I got a few messages saying that, you know, but, um, but yeah, for me, the most important was that first of all, the children, so that the children get the support that they actually need, but also the, these people who come into these jobs, because it's not really advertised as like a this kind of specific role, you just kind of fall into it. And then you have to make it work. And it's very rare that you get access to like an education psychologist or someone who can help. So I think it's, it's, it's a scary thought. And I think it's also like something that would put off a lot of people after a few months, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, it's a very, very exhausting, very challenging job. But if you have just a few of these tools, suddenly you're equipped to, 
you know, um, help someone and also like enjoy your job, which I think is super important. I'll be right back with Kitty after this next break. Are you looking for a weekly guide to what's going on in the TEFL world? Do you want some advice on everything from job interviews to underrated TEFL destinations? Well, the TEFL Org blog has it all. Every single week, we tackle some of the biggest questions in the TEFL industry. Stay up to date with the latest trends in English teaching, find tips to make your next job application your best yet, or get inspired and read about the experiences of TEFL Org graduates teaching all around the world. Whether you're brand new to the industry or you've seen it all, we can guarantee an interesting read each week. To find out more, go to tefl.org forward slash blog. That's T-E-F-L dot O-R-G forward slash blog. And we're back with Kitty. So in 2020, and you touched on it there before, um, which is making this all very seamless, you decided to do a master's and you studied marketing. Uh, so talk, talk me through that decision. Yeah. So you will see, I think a lot of the listeners will hear that I'm the kind of person who was always looking for her purpose. So I was always just going through different jobs, trying to find which is the one, you know, and, uh, and that was another moment of mine that I was just, um, I was actually in a, in a summer camp in Spain doing like English teaching and I was planning to do English teaching for another year, but I was already thinking like, maybe I want to try the corporate life and see if I could do like something with my languages and also with like business. And so I started looking into master's courses, but yeah, it was in 2020, um, I decided to do a course in international marketing because I felt like I was always happiest in international contexts. And also because marketing was also something that used, like it, it always interested me, but I just, when I first came to Scotland, it's almost like I felt like I was, I wasn't good enough to study marketing because I was like, that would be too heavy, you know, like brand new language and all that jargon at, on top of it and all of sure. the, all of the things, you know, so like, it used to scare me. Like I don't come from the kind of family that we had, like, people working in marketing or in business. So for me, it always seemed like this big, scary world. And so I didn't. But after, you know, I became fluent enough, I was like, okay, I'm not ready to explore this interest of mine. And uh, like I said, we moved back to Scotland and uh, I was working with the children um, in, in Edinburgh. And that, But at the same time, in the evenings, I was teaching English as a second, like giving private lessons to adults. And with COVID, I moved it all online, of course, like my adult students. Um, but then I also thought, oh, now I'm not tied to, you know, having to promote only to Edinburgh people. I can promote to anyone. So I just kind of, I had no idea what I was doing, but I created some flyers on Canva and just asked all of my friends to share it on social media. So I built up, um, a f- you know, like a... A few students. It was actually growing organically quite nicely until it plateaued. But, um, you know, it was, it was like a nice online business that I was doing. And I was actually, so at this point I was, I had already applied for the masters, but I was actually even more grateful that I had done that because I loved teaching online. I loved that. 
I like I spent two months back home, you know, just with my mom and just chilling on her on her terrace on the sun, doing my English classes online. It was super cool, but also like making uh, quite a bit of money. Like it was awesome. But I didn't have any business skills to grow this or any marketing skills to promote it properly and to make it sustainable. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this on the side of my master's. But then once I've done the master's, I'm going to rebuild it like properly. And um, yeah, and then I started doing my master's and I was teaching online the entire time that I was in the master's. So, which is great because it gave me quite a bit of pocket money. So it was good, really good. And it was very flexible, um, which not many things are when you're doing a master's. <laughs> it's really very intensive. Um, but then I came across, so like I started, I, part of my master's, I did strategic brand management, which was my favorite subject by far. And then I did my dissertation on brand equity building, which is like, um, you know, like a tool to um, essentially like strengthen your brand. And I just thought that's so, so nice. So that's what I do. That's what I do now. I do like brand strategy consulting. So I help people build brand equity for their businesses. Um, But yeah, so, so when I graduated the master's, like I knew I wanted to build a business and I knew I wanted to make sure that I combine my lifelong passion for English and for teaching English with my newfound passion for marketing, because I loved marketing. I really enjoyed it, especially the whole international aspect and internationalizing a company and building a company, because a lot of people think marketing is all about promotions, but it's not it's it's actually like everything that's business so it's it all starts with marketing you have to do your market research before you can bring something to the market and then you have to you know um when you want to internationalize it's again like marketing so 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 yeah so that's 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 why I wanted to like combine those things I wanted to make sure that I do the marketing or like something with marketing but also I have the English teaching in it as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean, we love seeing our former students becoming multidisciplinary. It's uh, it's extremely mm-hmm. cool. But as as someone who's both a skilled teacher and, and marketer, how how important would you say it is for teachers to kind of diversify their skill set and and be adept across multiple things, especially if they're planning on working online? Like, what what have been your observations there? I think it's very important to diversify your skill set, not just for teachers, for anyone, because you just, you like the more things you're good at, the more things you understand in life, the less chances there is that you're ever going to be vulnerable to any sort of crisis, whether that's economic or personal or whatever. You're never going to be, um, you're never going to have to like stick in one job either. You can just like stand up and walk away if, some, if you don't like something. And it's the best when you can combine your skills. And especially if you want to start an online business, it's obviously, it's, there's no secret that since COVID, there's been a massive boom of online businesses. And because of that, it's harder and harder to stand out. So how do you stand out if you are, you know, someone that does the exact same that another 
hundreds of thousands of people do. So you want to find out what's unique about you. And that that can really help you, you know, like if you have multiple skills, then you combine those skills and bring something to the market that only you can do. And then you don't even have to worry about people copying you because no one can deliver the service that you can. So yeah, and and, and I don't mean skills, like it doesn't have to be always hard skills, you know, it doesn't have to be combining English teaching with marketing, but you just think about what are the things you already know and how can you monetize it and how can you make how can you combine them to make you stand out and to ensure that only you can do what you do excellent i love it and it's with that kind of attitude that enable grew yeah. so tell, tell me about enable and uh tell tell the listeners kind of the, about, the, about the business that you have now and, and what you're up to yeah of course of course very happily um so after i finished my master's i started working in marketing and uh and then about a few months in about six months in, I was like okay I'm gonna start building a business so I started thinking about the business last May and then thinking about you know okay maybe it's time and um because I wanted to have some practical skills first which I which I got so I didn't leave my job I was just like okay let's get into the headspace and I think that's my best advice for anyone who wants to start a business first get into the headspace start thinking like an entrepreneur so how are you going to achieve that by reading a lot so at first I was just kind of reading mindset books um confidence books books about like the mind of an entrepreneur things like that and that was my first three months and then I started taking action in September and uh, like I say I was doing like simultaneously while I was working full-time so and I did that for nine months um so basically at the very start like I say I wanted to combine my English my love for English with um marketing so I wanted to I was thinking of maybe starting an, an academy that was like English for marketing and then I realized that it already exists and I also realized that I wasn't maybe that keen on you know doing corporate training and so I did like a lot of market research and then I realized that you know entrepreneurs are kind of overlooked in this space so there's like English for doctors English for like English for everything like English for law English for I don't know I can't think of any other jobs but any job you can think of you name it there will be like there will be a service that provides English teaching for them yeah and then I just thought like what about the people who don't want to work for other people what about the people who want to build businesses you know that comes with its own unique set of language linguistic challenges so I was like okay I'm gonna create a language academy for entrepreneurs so that's how it all started and then the enable that it's like an en dash able it came to me in like a dreamlike state because uh, I was like oh I like en could be standing for English and for entrepreneur so yeah I thought I was very smart there <laughs> and uh, and and uh, but yeah so I started building that However, the, after the first few clients, I just realized that 
people's English, at least the people I worked with, people's English was quite high level, but they didn't have any marketing communication skills. So I started teaching them marketing strategy and marketing communication skills for the price of language classes. And then I thought, okay, there's probably a better opportunity. There's probably better opportunities here. So I started working with a consultant and then just uh, basically pivoted about three months ago. And since then, um, so like when I, when, when we did the pivot, like my first thing was, okay, what, what area of marketing do I enjoy the most? And of course that's branding. I have the most expertise in it as well. So it made perfect sense. And of course I wanted to keep the element of supporting non-native English speaking entrepreneurs. So basically what we do now is brand strategy. Um, so we help entrepreneurs who speak English as a second language who want to connect with English-speaking audiences, who want to market their services internationally, who want to um, stand out in the international market, but also position themselves as go-to experts. And basically what I do is that I help them over a period of three months, I help them build a brand, but I also help them build the marketing communication skills that are necessary to then for them to then continue doing business in in English and internationally, because I find that there's a huge gap between being able to speak a, a foreign language and being able to market in the same language effectively. And I know that from myself because you know my first business, my first like small thing, and my first service, the online teaching. That's the reason why it plateaued and then declined and then eventually failed because I had no idea how to market it, even though I was fluent native-like in English. So um fluent like a native in English. But um so basically this is where we are now. So it's not that we teach English, but we we teach how to use English strategically. Um and my long-term vision for the company is that we are going to add hire teachers and by long term i actually want to do this like before the end of next year hiring teachers and bring back the language academy element so we have an option for those who want to trade internationally who have the ambition to trade internationally but are not quite there yet language wise so we want to have an option for them and then i also want to add an agency to it so we have an option for those people who don't want to do the work themselves because with the consultancy it is that that i advise you but essentially you do the work and I just give you the feedback and I help you develop it, but you have to do the work. So there are people who don't want to do the work themselves. So for them, I want to have an agency, but essentially I just want to make sure that we cover every area of brand strategy, potentially other areas of marketing as well going forward that supports non-native English speakers all over the world who want to benefit from international business opportunities. Because that's where, you know, like, that's where the money's at. You know, there's, if you just market in your own language, and even if you're a native speaker and you're own, like, even if you're an English native speaker and you're based in, even in America, you know, like, okay, maybe that's a huge market. Maybe you won't run out of customers, but still, you know, like the more you can go international, the more, the more customers you can get, the more market shares you get, the more sustainable you are in the long term, the more longevity you can then have for your business. Just, just finally, what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs who speak English as a second or, or third language? 
you know who want to kind of follow the path that that you that you blazed in terms of going in from teaching to starting your own business what what advice would you would you give young aspirational people get started like take action i think a lot of us want to wait until everything is perfect and all the lights turn green but that's like the that's never going to never going to happen. So just get started no matter what your idea is, because your idea is going to refine as you go and as you start testing it in the market. And then also like your ideas of who your ideal client is, where to get money, where to get support, all of these things are going to start happening and appearing to you, appearing very clear to you once you get started. So I think that's the most important. But also like don't be afraid to show up in English online. You know, I think a lot of people are nervous to make mistakes or maybe they are nervous about their accent or maybe they are, you know, maybe they're nervous that, oh, I'm just not as smart in English as I am in my own language, which is it's just just get over all of those thoughts because an accent, a foreign accent is literally it shows to people that you are at once intelligent and courageous and that the combination of those qualities is very attractive to people it's very impressive and very attractive so don't be afraid to show up share your story tell them where you're from why do you have that accent what was your journey of learning english and people will connect with you and is this the same with like grammatical mistakes, you know, like, yeah, you can use tools like Grammarly, of course, to make sure that your um, writing is top notch. But also like, if, what if you make a mistake? If people know where you come from and what your story with English, learning English is, they're going to look past that. In And I think they're going to find you very inspirational. So yeah, definitely. Um also, like if you if you are thinking about starting a business, that's probably because you have a calling. So follow that calling because if you like you know, if you just settle for something instead or you wait for the right time, the right time's never gonna come. But if you just get started and you and you put yourself out there, you know, and before you know it, there, there's it, you won't even notice it and it's just it just grows. After a while it just kind of becomes its own thing and you're like how's how's this happened so yeah i think that would be it i mean such a great journey from watching beverly hills to dino 210 to uh being an entrepreneur in scotland i think so many people are going to really relate to this and it'll strike a chord with a lot of people so where can where can those people find you and ask questions just before we finish up of course you can find me on linkedin i'm probably most active on linkedin so it's like like my name kitty mayoran it's k-i-t-t-i-m-a-j-o-r-a-n um i'm the only one with this name as far as i know so it's very easy to find me so just please feel free to connect reach out ask me whatever you want to know and uh, if you want to check out my website like our company website is uh, enable so like n-able academy so then able academy are one word so n-able academy.com and there you can you can join one of our one of our workshops we have monthly workshops free workshops so if you're interested in in taking your business international or starting a business in english then yeah come and join us but yeah if you have any any questions even related to tefl or my you know how i 
got hired as a non-native English speaker and into a teaching job or whatever questions you have, just please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll be more than happy to answer. Brilliant. Well, Kitty, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been great having you on. Thank you for having me. It was so nice being here because I honestly love TEFL so much. It's given me so much. You've been listening to I Taught English Abroad, a podcast series by the TEFL Org. To keep up to date with every episode, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your streaming platform of choice. And we love feedback, so feel free to leave us a review on any platform you like. For more information about the TEFL Org, or about teaching English as a foreign language in general, head on over to tefl.org. That's T-E-F-L dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>